This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Let me go ahead and read um, the, the passage for today. Um, again, I'm always just mindful that some of you have, have not been here for this sermon series, so you're just kind of plopping in on the ninth commandment. Um, if, you're, if you're new or newer to the Bible, um, this, this might be helpful just for you to get some handle uh, on, the, on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are often um, kind of framed in, in, in two ways. Um, the first four are often um, framed in these are commandments in what it means to love God. And then the latter six are commandments that are framed in what it means to love neighbor. Now, of course, loving God is involved in all ten. Um, but, but, but that little helpful framework um, really it just gets us a handle on, you know, what life in relationship with God and each other should look like. And so, you know, again, we're all over the map as far as our um, perception of these quote-unquote commands. But here's, here's what I want you to do before I, before I read this, this ninth command. Um, I, I don't want you um, to look at these as this is what I must do to be in a loving relationship with God. Uh, instead, it ought to sound something like this because this is what it would have felt like for the original hearers of these commands. Because I am already in a loving relationship with God, this is what my life will look like. And that little, that little shift in your thinking can change all the ways you will relate to this command. See, our obedience comes not in order to be in right relationship with God. Our obedience comes because we already are in right relationship with God. Let me read the ninth commandment, and I'm also going to, and I've been doing this for most of the sermons, I'm also going to read a passage from the New Testament, which just gives us just, just fuller color and understanding of, of maybe the application of this, this command. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, and then I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 28. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let's pray together. Father, we, we need your help. Lord, some of our, our hearts and minds are distracted because uh, our service has not uh, gone the way it usually does with our music and preparation to hear your word preached. Um, but Lord, we believe that you, you have something to say to us today, uh, and we want to hear what you have to say. And unless you, by the work of your spirit inside of us, uh, would move, then Lord, we will be will be just too distracted and annoyed to listen to what you have to say. So help us uh, attune our minds to, to your voice and, uh, and speak to your people today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we just got back from a, a couple-day getaway. Heather and I were able to 
to, to escape up into Colorado for a few days. And I, I actually took the whole, whole week off of work. And if you know me, you'll know I'm a little, little type A. I'm not like overboard on it. But one of the first things I have to do when I get back uh, into the office is clear my email box. It's just, it will nag me and aggravate me if I don't, if I don't get to that quick. So I, I started sifting through um, emails and, and I have got a great system. In fact, this is, this is free information, no commission on this, but um, Spark is my email, you know, app of choice. And one of the things you can do with Spark is it, it, it's, it segments your kind of your, your bulk spam newsletter type of stuff with, with re real emails that come from, from like real people. And, and usually you can kind of just go through to the bottom of those and you can just do one swipe and it'll clear them all. And so, I, you know, I don't go, especially when I'm out for like a week, I don't, I don't go through all the newsletters. And uh, if you send a newsletter and I miss it, I'm sorry. But I, I kind of was just scrolling, right? You, you do have to scroll to get to the bottom to swipe them out. And I was scrolling and, I, and, and one little subject email line uh, caught my attention and it, and it caused me to open it. Uh, it caught my attention for two reasons. One is it had my wife's name in it. Usually I don't get emails with subject lines with, with my wife's name in it. And then the second was it said, Heather might be vulnerable to theft. And I was like, well, I've got, I've got to go in on this one. So I, I, I went ahead and I just, I went in on this one. And this was an email from Dave Ramsey. If you're on Dave Ramsey's email list, you get a lot of emails from Dave Ramsey. Um, I like the guy. I don't, I don't love the guy, but he's, he's, he's got some, you know, whatever, some helpful financial tidbits. But he's, he's also selling a lot of products. And this one particular was uh, an identity theft protection product. And I thought, you know, is Heather really vulnerable to this theft? But I, I went in. I opened it up. And, you know, they, they only give you, like, like, just teasers in the in the email, so I, I kind of read through it, and they're they're just using a lot of big language with like internet speak, and you know why there's vulnerabilities and exposures on the internet. And so I went further. I clicked on it, went to the website. I kept going, and I and I just kept seeing it, and finally got to the bottom, and it said it said it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so I clicked the like, oh, I, I went deep. I went, I did not sign up, but I went deep into it. But like the, the, what, they were, what they were tapping into in me um, was this, this fear of exposure, right? It's not a matter of, of if you'll get hacked, right? If you'll get your identity stolen. It's a matter of when it will happen. And what, what those genius marketing gurus at Dave Ramsey's financial office had tapped into in me is this fear of exposure. Um, that's inside of all of you. And this commandment, uh, and, and we've been doing this with all the commandments. So if you've been here, you know, this is predictable. But like this commandment at the, ver at the very fruit level, at the very surface level of things could sound like this. But just don't tell lies, right? Don't, don't be a liar. Um, but, but underneath that, and there's so much more to that, and we're going to kind of unpack a little bit of that. Underneath that symptom of lying is this fear of being exposed for who you really are. And there's a vulnerability inside of every single person here 
um, that says, I cannot be found out for who I really am. And what we do, and this has started from the beginning of the history of humanity, is we hide. And there are all kinds of ways in which we hide as people, but the way this commandment particularly is addressing is the way we hide behind our speech, the way we hide behind our words. And so this, this commandment is going to you know, tap into that impulse inside of every single one of you, without exception, to be someone who hides. And, and my goal, my aim, my desire for this sermon is for you to know that there is a place where you can safely be yourself. And I'm going to use some language, kind of the language of who you truly are or the true self. And it, it could sound kind of like maybe psychological, kind of secular type of stuff. Um, so I'm going to just quote, you know, the, the great Protestant reformer John Calvin right now uh, up front. John Calvin in his magnum opus, the, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, two volumes, incredible, incredible work. He would say this at the very beginning. He would say that, that, that true wisdom consists of two parts, knowing God and knowing yourself. And, and they are, they are in, intrinsically connected to each other. And so this the sermon is going to aim for you to, to look at that second part of knowing yourself. What does it mean to truly know yourself and to feel safe about that? Um, here's, the, here's the three things we're going to kind of ask and answer of the text today. Um, and I'm using the language of hiding um, because I think that's what bearing false witness is. When you are bearing false witness against your neighbor, you are hiding. So first we're going to ask, um, how do we hide? Then we're going to look at why do we hide? And then thirdly, we're going to look at where can we be safe? Like where is it sa actually safe to hide? So let, let's look at um, how do we hide? And I'm going to just kind of translate some of the uh, language of, of the actual command here. Uh, the words used in Exodus chapter 20 are incredibly legal words. These are these are courtroom, courtroom words. So bearing false witness um, was just in the legal context. So in the ancient Near East, uh, the legal context was you had to have a witness. Actually, you had to have in, in Israel, you had to have two witnesses to be, um, a, to be punished for a crime. And so the command at the very micro level was you cannot be a liar about evidence in a, in a legal case. Right? And then so, so it's against your neighbor. right? And so the immediate context for Israel, because these commands were given to the Israelites. Not, this was not for the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites. This was for the Israelites. This was for God's people. So in the community of God's people, you are not to be false with your neighbor. And, and, and even broader, you know, Jesus you know, he, he asked and answered the question, who's your neighbor, right? This is the, the parable of the, great of the Good Samaritan. And the answer is everyone is your neighbor, not just your church friends. Everybody is your neighbor. And so the legal setting is, hey, you, you cannot be a false witness. Um, but but here's, here's, here's really what the heart of the command is after. It is after how we talk to people and how we talk about people. 
So let me just shuffle through some of how we, how we hide behind words when we're talking to people and we're talking about people. Uh, maybe the most obvious one is, is slander and gossip. When people's stories that are not ours to tell um, are running through us to others. And so whether that's just in conversation or whether it's in social media posts or whether, you know, it's, you know, when we gather, you know, on our way out at the minivan and it, here's, here's what it could sound like. It could sound like a clouded prayer request, right, where you're telling someone else's story by requesting prayer. You're bearing false witness against your neighbor. Uh, maybe a, a, a more subtle way, and this was a new way of thinking for me, another way we bear false witness is, is through flattery. Um, flattery is a device of manipulation. You are attempting to control someone by telling something to someone that you know you, wa you want them to hear. And flattery comes in, in all kinds of forms. Um, but, but even, you know, like here's, here's, and social media, you know, it's like, it's in the crosshairs of this because it's, it's just a new vehicle for a very old sin. But it's, it's a vehicle in which a lot of us traffic, right? And so what it, what it could look like is you knowing um, someone is, is presenting their life in a way that is not accurate. And then you promote it. And so it's, you know, the woman, you know, who's, who is deeply, deeply distressed in her marriage. Um, and she's posting um, pictures of vacation like that's not true. And then here's how you participate in it. You say, oh, beautiful family. You guys are amazing. Right, it's it's a it's a flattery um, that is bearing false witness to your neighbor. Uh, another way, which I think is very could be very prevalent among us, is is bearing false witness through silence. When you're unwilling to say true things to people, uh, when you withhold good information. Or, or good words to someone who needs them. Uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us were raised with this mentality of, you know, if you don't have anything, you know, nice to say, well, you don't say it at all. And, and, and here's, here's the, you know, the, the, the other side of that. Here's the other ditch. is like, if you say all true things without any love, that's abuse, right? Or if you say, you know, all loving things without any truth, well, that's neglect. What we're after here is like truth with love. Words that are both true and loving. So we, we hide, we hide ourselves behind these forms of slander and gossip and flattery or silence. We are hiding ourselves. But, but what, I, what I want you to begin to think about is why do we do that? Like, why do we feel um, like that is the best course of action for our lives? And, and here's, here's, here's my, you know, my attempt at answering that just up front, and then I'll unpack it. Um, I think we hide 
in order to protect ourselves from being rejected. We, um, we cannot stand the possibility of rejection in our lives. It is paralyzing, it is daunting, and quite honestly, we will do anything in our power to avoid it. And so bearing false witness is a really easy way to hide yourself from the possibility of rejection. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's significant, this language of witness in the scriptures, and I can't, I can't unpack a whole Old Testament biblical theology of witness for us this morning, but suffice it to say this, um, from, from, from the outset of God's design for the world was this, that he, would, that he would make his image bearers, his people, witnesses to himself in the world. So what he did was he made us in his image and he put us in his creation to reflect who he is in the world. That is what it means to be a witness. It's to represent somebody else. And so it's, it, you know, it, here's, here's what's happened for all the course of human history. We have always wanted to be somebody else besides ourselves. Um, from Genesis chapter 3 on, we have been hiding people. I mean, you remember, you're familiar with Adam and Eve. The, the immediacy of their rebellion provoked shame inside of them, and they hid themselves from God, and God said what? Where are you? Now, some of you have heard that in the most um, just condemning tone you've ever heard. But, but will, you, will you hear God when he says this in Genesis 3, in the most kind, compassionate, curious voice you've ever heard to a hiding people? He says, where are you? Like you. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, he hadn't misplaced Adam and Eve. You know, he wasn't looking for geographical coordinates to find out where they actually were. He was looking for the people that had hid themselves from him because they feared his rejection. They feared his shame. They feared his, his punishment. So, listen, here's, and I know it's like getting cool and windy, Here's, here's what I want you to begin to do in your own life, is to assess, first of all, that you are hiding. And, and to hear God's voice this morning is not calling you out in condemnation, but calling you in kindness. Because here's, here's, here's why you're hiding. It's because you've been hiding to protect yourself from something your whole life. And so let me just, I'll just get real, you know, rubber on the road type of practical. Like if you had an overbearing dad who could not handle your, your kind of your wily, rebellious, you know, boyhood, and you were punished, like overtly, harmfully, painfully punished for being the, that, that boy, you know what you did? You created a a false self. You created a good boy. You created something that would not expose you to that rejection. And you've probably been living that out your whole life. 
or, or, or maybe you just, you just had a mom who could not bear your emotional bigness, right? And so the daughter with like big emotions and, and she could not bear that. And so what you began to do was to painfully put that away and become someone else in order to receive the loving face and kindness of your mom. So like, again, this is like where it feels like psychological, but like this, all of us, without exception, from our childhood to now, have been putting some sort of image together, some level of pretense so that the world and those around us will love us, accept us, and like us for who we are. We build our lives on false pretense and perception and image and what we say. We want to look smart. We want to look, you know, like biblically astute in our Bible studies. We want to pray really well and profound. We're doing all of that image making so that we'll be loved and accepted. That is why we hide behind our words. That is why you are probably struggling with half-truths in your life because you have yet to meet the one you can be entirely true with and know you won't be rejected. That's why there's a place that's safe. So where's the safe place? Um, I've, been, I've, been a, I've been in the dad game now uh, for 11 years. We've got three kids Two older boys, 11 and 9, and then our little Isabel, 3. And I've been in the hide-and-seek game, like, from the beginning. Like, it's been one of our go-tos. My kids have always loved hide-and-seek. Um, and, 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 you know, as of recently, it's kind of gotten rekindled in our home. Our little girls, you know, she's getting older. And um, I'm sorry, uh, boys, I, I didn't share this with them ahead of time, but, but our, our Isabel, she is probably our best hiding kid at the youngest age. Like our boys, I know boys, we'll talk about it on the way home. Um, but our boys, like, you know boys, they just, they just can't stay in a spot very long. They're, no, they're like wiggly and noisy and, you know, like they're just, they're just not great hiders. But Isabel, last night, she impressed me. Uh, and I have to get involved because she really wants good spots. So last night we're playing hide and seek, and she's like, "Daddy, I want a really good spot. Where's a really good spot?" So what I did, and this is good parenting. You can you can shame me all you want, but this was good parenting. I shoved her in in a cabinet, um, like that had no space in it. It was like she barely got in there. I was like prying a foot just to get the door shut. And I thought, ooh, this one, this could go bad. I really did think it was going to go bad. But I, we invited the boys in, and they were never going to find her. I mean, they were never going to look here. And, you know, we kind of cued them a little bit. That, and they, and, but she never made a peep. Like, that was, come on, boys, admit it. That was the best hiding spot in the history of our family. They were shocked. It was the best, safest hiding spot in the history of hide-and-seek in our home. Here's the good news I have for you today, and, and I just, I'm going to land the plane here. There is a hiding spot for you that is so incredibly safe, uh, that has no um, surprises in it. Um, and, and, and here, you know, surprise of all surprises, he has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. Um, so Jesus would say things like this. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And he would also say things like this. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now here, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, here's what you think that means. You think that means, oh, if you have really good doctrinal beliefs about me, then you're going to be free. But here's what I think it actually means. You will discover the truth, and this is the truth. You are far more flawed than you could ever even imagine. You are desperately wicked. Your evil is so bad, you don't even know the half of it. It is, it is terrible. Your rebellion inside of you is so bad. That's the bad news of it. But the best news of it all, and here's why it's safe, is he says, even though you're so incredibly flawed, you are so more loved than you could ever even imagine. See, Jesus knew the truth about you, and he loved it. He loved seeing the depths of your despair so much that he said that anyone who would trust in him could have everlasting life. And here's what everlasting life means to some of you. Everlasting life means to some of you like you won't get punished when you die. But here's what everlasting life means to Jesus. It means you can come to me and be who you truly are and I will never reject you. You can be honest with your words in a way that, that I can handle it. Some people might not be able to handle it. And here's the, the, the real raw reality for, for all of us here. If you go and you start living an honest, true life with people, some people might reject you. You might be too much for some people. But here's what Jesus says, I'll never reject you. you and if you want to know what the free life is, it is this. You can be yourself in this world and you will always have the love you most need in Jesus Christ. People may reject you. He will never reject you. I want to close with this this morning as we think about just what it means to be a true witness in the world. Uh, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a, a book uh, was written many years ago called Abba's Child uh, by a man named Brennan Manning. I would, I would highly recommend you read that. And in this book, he, he talks about what I'm talking about today, this, this need for this false self and presenting yourself to the world through your words and, and the way you put your life together. He calls it being the imposter. And he talks about the imposter of his childhood being born out of pain and, and some of these things I've mentioned. And in his book, he records a page out of his journal that he wrote in a retreat. And I'm just going to read that to you. It's, it's a little lengthy, so bear with me. Um, it's, it's, he was up in the uh, mountains of the Colorado Rockies, and he was writing to himself the imposter. And as you hear these words of this man, I want them to become your own words, because all of you have been putting together some sort of false person in your life through your words and your actions, and I think you'll find these encouraging. So these are the words of Brennan Manning from Abba's Child, and I wish we had projections so you could stay with me, but just, just hear his words as he speaks to the imposter in himself. He says this, Good morning, imposter. Surely you're surprised by the cordial greeting. You probably expected, hello, you little jerk. Since I have hammered you from day one of this retreat, let me begin by admitting that I have been unreasonable, ungrateful, and unbalanced in my appraisal of you. 
I come to you today not with a rod in hand, but with an olive branch. When I was a little boy and first knew that no one was there for me, you intervened and showed me where to hide. At that moment in time, you were invaluable. Without your intervention, I would have been overwhelmed by dread and paralyzed by fear. You were there for me and played a crucial, protective role in my development. Thank you. When I was four years old, you taught me how to build a cottage. Remember the game? I would crawl under the covers from the head of the bed to the footrest and pull the sheets, blanket, and pillow over me, actually believing that no one could find me. It felt safe. I'm still amazed at how effectively it worked. My mind would think happy thoughts, and I would sp spontaneously smile and start to laugh under the covers. We built that cottage together because the world we inhabited was not a friendly place. But in the construction process, you taught me how to hide my real self from everyone and initiated a lifelong process of concealment, containment, and withdrawal. Your resourcefulness enabled me to survive, but then your malevolent side appeared and you started lying to me. Brennan, you whispered, if you persist in this folly of being yourself, your few long-suffering friends will hit the bricks, leaving you all alone. Stuff your feelings, shut down your memories, withhold your opinions, and develop social graces so you'll fit in wherever you are. And so the elaborate game of pretense and deception began. Because it worked, I raised no objection. As the years rolled by, you, I, got strokes from a variety of sources. We were elated and concluded the game must go on. But you needed someone to bridle you and rein you in. I had neither the perception nor the courage to tame you, so you continued to rumble like Sherman through Atlanta, gathering momentum along the way. Your appetite for attention and affirmation became insatiable. I never confronted you with the lie because I was deceived myself. The bottom line, my pampered playmate, is that you are both needy and selfish. You need care, love, and a safe dwelling place. On this last day in the Rockies, my gift is to take you where unknowingly you have longed to be, into the presence of Jesus. Your days are of running, of running riot are history. From now you slow down, slow very down. In Jesus' presence, I notice that you have already began to shrink. Want to know something, little guy? You're much more attractive that way. I am nicknaming you Peewee. Naturally, you are not going to roll over suddenly and die. I know you'll get disgruntled at times and start to act out, but the longer you spend time in the presence of Jesus, the more accustomed you grow to his face the less adulation you will need because you will have discovered for yourself that he is enough. And in the presence, you will delight in the discovery of what it means to live by grace and not by performance. Your friend, Brennan. Friends, where are you? Are you hiding behind words of deception and flattery and exaggeration and half-truths. The invitation this morning is to come into the presence of the one who knows you and loves you and will never reject you. That's good news for the believer today. Let's pray together.
Father, so many of us have spent our lives hiding in fear. Lord, we hide uh, in the way we act and treat one another, uh, in the way we talk about other people in order to make ourselves feel better. Father, I, I know... I know that this is new territory for, for many of us to explore the depths of your love and kindness and curiosity towards us. In fact, it's pretty uncomfortable for most of us. We would rather just traffic in uh, theological jargon or Bible studies or programs. Uh, but, but Father, I pray that you would uh, continue doing the deep work inside of, of your people here at Mosaic. Uh, so that we can know that there is a grace that will change everything about us. Uh, that there is a God in heaven who not only loves us, but also likes us, who longs to be with us. Would you help us to embrace that today? We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 